0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is delivering a message about Jesus being crucified along with the two criminals. You can follow along with this message in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 23. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app.
1: I want you to think about that, that, the chorus that was just sung. What has God's mercy done for you? Could you list it? Do you know? It's amazing how reflection on the blessings of Christ brings a whole lot more joy than focus on what's wrong. What has God's mercy done for you? Check out your message guide if you haven't already. Your outline is the first two panels. Again, we continue on the Life of Jesus series. We began it last Christmas with a few single Sunday breaks. We will have gone, you know, what is that, nine, ten months. And the reason is because our faith consists of relationship with Jesus Christ. Not some theology, not some facts, him. He didn't say if you'll agree with this, then you will go to heaven. He said I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if we want to know the way, if we want to live by truth, if we want to have life that's truly life, where is it found? It's found in Jesus, and so that's why we have spent so much time, and I urge you, reread as you have time. Back up and read it again. Today's message is entitled, Criminals. Anybody know any criminals? Don't point. (laughs) Don't point, we might not wanna know. (laughs) The theme verse for today is found on top of the outline. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this morning, we'll reflect on the salvation of a hopeless case. You ever considered yourself a hopeless case? Or do you know anyone who you might consider a hopeless case? We're in reading two hundred and two, and we began there at the at the top. Then two criminals. Now let me give you a little background here. the The Greek word, you know, I don't think the answer is always in the Greek, but sometimes it helps when you're looking for the. The, the dimension of a word, the depth of a word, what, is it, what does it mean? The Greek word here is taste. And it, it doesn't refer to like a petty thief. It refers to a, an outlaw, a bandit. Someone who plunders as they steal. Some translations call them robbers, some translations thief. I've also seen um, murders or murderers. So these two criminals were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Now I was in Israel a few times, twice, I've been twice a few years back, and um, I was trying to remember the distance that these crosses were apart. I consulted Andy Patterson, who just got back. I said, how, how far apart do you think they were? Because you see, the, the hill that people consider Calvary by tradition's sake, which it was an important place, so it would have been passed down reliably, is now inside a church. So, you, you know, you, you stand in line and you go up into the area, and it's hard to tell you're, in a, you're on top of a hillside because you're in a, an Orthodox church. But there's an altar, and the place where Jesus crossed, the middle cross, is beneath that altar. And then there's a place where another cross was to the right, and another cross was to the left, and they're under glass. But I was thinking, okay, it may be a little more than 10 feet, not more than 15, and Andy Patterson said, yeah, yeah, I think that too, you know. So about 12 to 15 feet apart, these were not far apart. And understand this is a limestone hill. So you could actually get underneath the altar and, and see where the cross that Jesus was supposed to have been on and you could put your hand down into it. It was only about this deep. You say, well, how could a cross hold a man in a hole that deep? Because it was limestone. It was actually engineered. You could feel the rectangular shape of it. One side was broken. And remember, I've told you that thousands were crucified, right? And think about it. You know, it's awful hard to dig a hole and and put a post in it and it support any weight, isn't it? You tried that in your backyard basketball goal. They wobble, fall over. You know, without concrete. Well, limestone's like concrete, and so it was engineered. So they likely used the same uprights or the same sized uprights and they could use it over and over and over hundreds, even thousands of times because it was stone. They weren't digging a hole to stick a man in. That's a lot of weight for a a dirt hole, isn't it? So these two thieves, maybe the whole... All three of them no more than 15 feet apart. So four to five feet between each pole is all. They almost overlapped. So the scripture was fulfilled when it says he was counted among outlaws. It fulfilled a prophecy from Isaiah 53, verse 12. But don't under again, let me say again, these were not petty thieves, shoplifters. They weren't even common robbers. They, they were cruel men, bandits, dangerous, violent men. Who took pleasure not only in stealing, but in tormenting and abusing and often killing their visitors. I mean, they're killers. They're um, victims. Sometimes, sometimes I torment visitors, but victims. <laughs> you say, well, I'm, I've been a victim too, but <laughs> now that's the Holy Spirit, see? You can't attribute my bad preaching to anything, but. <laughs> and these weren't Jewish patriots who were, who were attacking Romans to, in order to secure freedom for their country. These were hardened criminals who had loyalty only to themselves. Who threatened Jews as well as Romans. It's possible that they were part of a band of three. The third being who? Barabbas, likely. The middle cross was likely intended for Barabbas. And he was released, of course, when they said, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Now, these men were very likely Jews, and they, they would have had knowledge of Judaism, and they would know about the predicted Messiah. You know, that was just part of the fabric of the culture. It's like in our culture. It doesn't matter whether people go to church or not. Everybody knows about the baby Jesus. They say born in a manger. He wasn't actually born in a manger. He was actually laid in a manger in a stable. Which wasn't likely would, but anyway. But our culture all knows that story, right? Whether they've ever been to church. Well, Jews all knew about the coming Messiah. Then it says one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. From Matthew, it says the criminals who were crucified with him kept taunting him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, the fact that these men were Jews had some awareness of the, the Messiah made their taunting, their, their teasing even more reprehensible than the ridicule of the Roman soldiers. You know, the Roman soldiers dressed Jesus with a crown and put a robe on him and gave him a scepter, slapped him, remember that? He said, well, they didn't even know better. And Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. But these men were Jewish. They knew, at least they knew who the Messiah was supposed to be. You ever wonder why some people are so cruel? Do you? How about you, doctor? These men are dying. None of the three are going to come off the cross in, in their minds. So why did they treat Jesus with such contempt? You have an idea? So you gotta dig into this passage. You gotta say, what's going on here? What's the lesson being taught? Why, why not let this man alone? Didn't your mother ever tell you that? If you, some of you bullies that are in here, your mother didn't, your mother never told you, leave him alone. Let him die in peace. I mean, wouldn't that be what you would do if you were in a hopeless place? Wouldn't you just extend common courtesy, just leave somebody alone in their suffering? Wouldn't you do that? Why not these men? What's it show us about these men? Come on, what do you think? Somebody said scared, I see mean. I see mean. Now maybe when when some people get scared, they do get mean. They were violent. They were angry men with no concern for God or religion. And what was being revealed was their true character. See, we often, when we we act ugly, that's what my mother would say, you just acted ugly, did that? you know. We say, oh, that wasn't like me. Isn't that what we say? That wasn't like me. Well, no, the truth is, that's really the essence of who you are, is just that without being under pressure, you can handle it better. But when you get under pressure, you know, and that, that press happens, you don't become somebody else. You actually become tru- the truer you without the self-control. So, see, these men dying were stripped of any pretense at all. There was no use in behaving well. There was no use in being polite. They just let the true essence of who they were, let it go. You know how some people do? They they get fired from a job or whatever, so they go ahead and just try to burn down the whole house as they walk out. Is that right? Well, you didn't see a different one. You saw what was buried in there. A different person. Had Jesus harmed these men? Had he? No. I mean, did he harm anyone? Now, perhaps in their wickedness, they recognized and resented his goodness. Sometimes you see that, don't you? But who were these men? I mean, a word we'd use today is just narcissistic. They, They lived only for themselves, only for this life, only to feed their appetites, taking whatever they wanted, not caring whom they hurt, with no concern about religion or justice or fairness or any of that. All the facade is stripped away. And they were using their dying breath to vent anger against the only one who could offer them hope. But something happened to one of them. He was changed. I'm calling him the converted criminal. Conversion, transformation, change, I use those synonymously. Born again, same thing. One of these criminals was born again. There on the cross. He only spoke three sentences. Keith, three. Three sentences. But in those three sentences, we are going to see very clear, definite evidence of transformation. Do you think anyone is born again without evidence? Come on now, do y'all, what do y'all think? You can argue with me even from far away. Can you be born again, saved, converted without evidence? Y'all better be, be careful saying that. That's a dangerous thing you just said. James 2.14 assures us of that. Faith without works is dead. Can that kind of faith save you? This criminal first recognized his wrongs. Now, now let me set this up for you just a minute. Anyone who committed a crime, he's in tune, who was punished by crucifixion, which is referred to in Deuteronomy 21 as being hung on a tree or a pole. Anyone who was killed by crucifixion who was hung on a tree, removed from the ground, and you know, displayed off the ground, so they wouldn't corrupt the ground, is actually the reason, but was considered cursed by God. You see that Deuteronomy 21 and 22 and 23. Now these two criminals who were both lawbreakers, and remember the, the law was the law of Moses, because it ruled over the religious and the civil world in Israel. So these two criminals who were crucified with Jesus were under the curse of God. You understand that? And when sinless Jesus accepted actually became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Peter 2.22. And then was crucified. Do you think he was cursed too? Joe, you think he was cursed? You hesitated on that one, didn't you? That's a very frightening thought, isn't it? That Jesus, the son of God, was cursed by his own father. That's what it says. That's what it says. You see... It was a curse to live under the law because what percentage of the laws did you have to keep in order to, you know, inherit heaven? Y'all don't believe that, do you? Was breaking a minor law the same as breaking a major law? Was looking lustfully at a woman the same as committing adultery? Was being harsh and cruel the same as murdering someone? You do not believe that. Or you wouldn't commit those and think so little of them. Every law, the breaking of one law was equal to the breaking of all the law. Do you really, come on, listen up. Melvin, do they believe this? Do you believe it? Every law, every rule, every regulation had to be fully obeyed to satisfy God through personal efforts. Now notice, I'm talking about God's law. I'm not talking about the religious leader's rules. See, he was accused of breaking their oral traditions, their interpretations, never God's law. I mean, they accused him of breaking God's law, but it's really their own rules. Jesus never broke broke God's law. Look at this, Galatians 3. This gives you a little background, a confirmation. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So Joe, you get the prize. Ding, 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 ding. You are completely right. In becoming accursed, Jesus died for our wrongdoing. But let's be, we got to be careful here. See, we, I think a lot of us get real symbolic about this. Well, Jesus died, so that means we could be forgiven. No, it no, it's not that simple. He became cursed by his father. Then suffered all the punishment due any man or woman who was cursed by God. So we could be freed from the curse. But the other answered, it says, about halfway down, don't you even fear God since we're undergoing the same punishment? And so what he's saying there is he knows he's cursed. They're being crucified. Remember, I've just laid that background. Why, wouldn't you, why don't you fear God? We're, we're under the curse of God. In other words, don't make it any worse on yourself. And remember, they're talking. Because, see, I, I want y'all to read this Bible closely, critically. Because if these guys are as far apart as this stage and dying, how are they talking? But if they're 12 to 15 feet apart... There's no problem, is there? One of these criminals changed. He changed from ridiculing Jesus to rebuking the other criminal. He said, these guys are dying. They're crucified. Why would they be up here arguing? Same reason your children argue while you're spanking them both. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And he warns him, he's actually doing him a favor, rebuking him, warning him about the judgment of God to come, which must have surprised him, don't you think? You ever had a partner in crime and you were doing something ugly with them, and suddenly the other one says, you need to stop this. (laughs) Y'all come in here and act all innocent. Why did it happen? Why did this happen? Well, well, he just thought better of it. Is that what you think? All right, he's been beaten, likely. He's being crucified. He's dying. He's in the last hours, perhaps. well, it'll be, it'll be hours for either, both of them. instead of days, they could live for days. But here's what's happening. He was experiencing, experiencing awareness of God and God's judgment. Even as his body was enduring the trauma, agony, and suffering of crucifixion. It seems, now this is me talking here. It seems God's spirit seems to work best when we're under great pressure. What do you think about that? David, what do you think about that? Not that David, this David. What do you think about that? Because here's what happens when you get under pressure, when God's hand is in it. Now, when you get under pressure and it's God's hand in it, you can get mad, you can cuss, you can rage, you can storm, all the rest of that. That's just human stuff coming out. But when God's spirit is in there, He seems to just slice right into the situation, doesn't He? And you end up going, This is about me. And our hearing becomes finer, our focus becomes clearer more more precise and he said we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did you know you can admit you've been wrong but i don't believe we can truly know the measure of our sin unless it's shown to us by the spirit of god you believe that kevin you believe that And so the spirit convicted this man not only of violating God's law but also mistreating this innocent man. He, I mean, think about it. If you're about to die, your focus would most likely be where? On yourself. And yet he becomes concerned about facing God, which you might be concerned about that, who controls eternity. But he he had never lived like he cared about God at all. You see? So it's a change. And so this criminal is no longer focused on the death of his body. He's concerned about facing God. Who controls all of eternity. This is what I observe. When the Holy Spirit is birthing us into spiritual life. We become very aware of our offenses against God. Is that your experience? Y'all answer me. Is that your experience? Now this is, I'm speaking from experience. I don't have a verse, so you get to consider this. And often it even includes experiencing a fear of divine judgment. Anybody echo that? I mean, that was my experience. It doesn't have to be yours necessarily. And here's why, humanly speaking, it's not easy to see our wrongs. One, we don't have God to compare ourselves with. We don't have anything pure that's laid aside us. And you think about it, When you're accused of something, you, our, our human instinct is to rationalize our offenses, to justify ourselves, to defend our sinful actions, and to compare ourselves with others. Is that Right? But when the Holy Spirit's involved, it just, he just cuts through every bit of that, doesn't he? Have you noticed that? But it requires this Holy Spirit to convict us to that kind of extent, to show us our need of the Savior. Because here's another thing that I believe. If you ever see your sin... Truly, you will repent. That's what I believe. No exceptions. Now, I'm not talking about a human that feels a little guilty sometime. I'm talking about if the Holy Spirit cuts into you and shows you yourself. Brandon, you know what I'm talking about? You're standing there naked before God. You can do, y'all don't get an image in your mind. You can do nothing but flee to Christ. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Look at 1 John 1, 1.9. Y'all know this one. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, I know some of you are kicking back against this. You don't like this idea of sin and... But many of us would rather hold on to a lie that comforts us than a truth that frightens us but sets us free. Many of us would rather hold on to a lie that comforts us than the truth that frightens us but leads to freedom. Can you identify with that? The criminal also realized Jesus' identity. But this man has done nothing wrong. How could he know that? How could he possibly know Jesus had done nothing wrong? Was there a way, humanly? He, he, he wasn't he, he might have heard him somewhere. He might have bumped into him. But he, he didn't know what Jesus had been doing for the last several years, did he? He didn't know what Jesus had been doing or saying as he traveled throughout all of Israel. And here's the thing. I don't think he's just saying Jesus isn't guilty of a crime deserving death. I think he was declaring he could see Jesus was sinless. You said it, Chris. Sinless. How? How could he know? How could he know? The Holy Spirit revealed it to him. First Corinthians two, thirteen through sixteen. See, if if today, if you are certain that Jesus is the sinless son of God, you didn't come up with that. That was revealed. In you. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't just something you rationed out. It was something that happened to you. And it becomes undeniable, doesn't it? That's how people suffer and martyred for their lives. They cannot deny Jesus. It's, it's too real. It's... Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he's recognized that Jesus is the Messiah sent sent to usher in God's kingdom. Now, he might have heard about Jesus' miracles. He might have even witnessed some of them. He could have listened to him teach. But grasping that this crucified man was from God couldn't be deduced logically. It had to be revealed supernaturally. I mean, come on, here he is hanging. Does he look divine? No. No. He looks like a man on the verge of death. In fact, of the three, which one died first? Jesus died first. Jesus was more exhausted, more depleted than these other two or than most other crucified men. He would die after only 6 hours on the cross. Whereas victims of crucifixion often live for days. And ultimately what would be done so they would to hasten their death. Their legs would be broken, so they couldn't breathe. They couldn't push up. But see, this criminal knew, as did all Jews, that God would establish an everlasting kingdom that would be ruled over by a son of David, a descendant of David, 2 Samuel 7, 8-17. through And this criminal was convinced, this man suffering, dying, bleeding, weak, Is the Messiah who will usher in God's kingdom. Or he wouldn't have asked him for entrance. Now he might have heard Jesus, because it only happened just minutes before, likely, say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it could be he, I mean, he was so close to him, five feet away perhaps or less, that he heard that and he said, You know, let me in on that. Will you let me in on that? No one survived crucifixion. He knew that. So he even knew Jesus would have to rise from the dead. He'd probably heard that Jesus raised Lazarus because it was only a few miles down the road. John 11. So he, he has a power over life and death, but, and he's, he's probably aware just from, you know, talking the, Community that, you know, that people will be raised from the dead. I mean, haven't you heard it? I mean, if any tragedy, you hear people who don't give any any uh, credence to Christianity talk about being raised and going to heaven, and don't you? Because it's cultural information. They're above looking at us. There, you know, all, you hear that. So this man knew that Daniel 12, 2 says there would be a resurrection, some to everlasting life, some to shame and disgrace. But his request was that he be admitted into the kingdom. This is a guy, he's been a criminal for who, who knows how long. And he's saying, can I come in? Can I come in? Do you believe Jesus can grant admission into his kingdom. Because see, we're all sitting in a church, you know, in South Carolina. But we're here about something we can't see that's eternal, that's eternal in nature. We're here about something that's not in South Carolina. Are you? Have you asked to be admitted into that kingdom? Darren? Have you been admitted? How do you know? The criminal received eternal life. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine hearing those words? Imagine how that felt. Well, do you remember how it felt? Now, the word "paradise," theologians love to argue about that, and how many angels can stand on the head of a pin. <laughs> the The word "paradise," certainly, I mean it. You know, it symbolizes the great, like a beautiful garden, a place of delight, a place of happiness and joy and theologians theologians debate whether paradise is another name for heaven or whether it's some intermediate holding place how many of you have a any kind of catholic background i went to catholic high school um my family wasn't catholic but i went to catholic high school and I once put my gum in the holy water, I thought it was an ashtray. I didn't know it was um, before football games, the whole team would go in the chapel, and I, you know, I thought it was worse to be chewing gum in the chapel, so I'd blink. And the gum sprang out and wrapped itself back up. and that, That's not true, that's not true.) It, <laughs> If I offended you Catholics, I will, bow, forgive me, forgive me. But here's the point. I'm getting carried away. Y'all, be, y'all better be quiet or I, you won't get to go home. But this intermediate holding place isn't purgatory. Now, I'm, this is serious. I know I've been talking foolishness. But purgatory for Catholics, and you, you, most of you know this, purgatory is fully hell. It's a place of suffering for a limited period of time. That's why people light candles and pray to allow you to be released from purgatory in a shorter amount of time. So you're being punished for the sins that were uncovered on earth. Only saints don't go to purgatory, but all everybody else does. So... I want you to hear this clearly. The, the fact that this criminal was forgiven and would be accepted into paradise eliminates any system of works righteousness. He didn't have time. He didn't have an opportunity to perform any good deeds to merit salvation. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace we've been saved. You have nothing to brag about. But that's not even your being smart enough to pray the prayer or accept the facts. It's just a gift that was bestowed on you. Jesus assured this criminal that he wouldn't have to wait for some future event to be with him. That Jesus, he would be in Jesus' presence as soon as he died. It's like we pass through a veil. When you die, you don't have a lack of consciousness. You you move from one place to the next like a different dimension now i don't know whether paradise is some intermediary waiting place and abraham's bosom another and heaven a third and then paul said there were he talked about the seventh heaven but but i know this Jesus will be in paradise. So the rest really doesn't matter to me. I'm not concerned whether there be several steps and stages before the final one. All I'm concerned about is being where he is. Have you trusted in Jesus by faith? Are you relying on Him to forgive your sins and provide you a place in His presence for eternity? This criminal who Jews would view as cursed by God, as unacceptable, as unredeemable. See, if you were cursed by God, you had no way to ever be admitted into God's kingdom. And redeem means to buy back. This criminal was promised admission into eternity that very day. And if a criminal like this guy can be forgiven, so can I. So can you. You see, I asked it before, we, when I started, how many of you know, know a criminal? Do you know a criminal? Point to the criminal. I'm the criminal. I've violated the law of God. Which means I've violated all the law of God. Which means I'm under a curse from God. But one took my curse and I'm free. Jesus didn't die for any good people. Jesus died for criminals. So Jim, if you think you're a criminal, you qualify. That's how we qualify. Romans 5 says this. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. And because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory in paradise. Counselors will be here. Please come, counselors. You know, if God's speaking with you, today's a day of salvation. Doesn't matter if you've been baptized 14 times. If God's speaking to you today, and He's showing you yourself, these folks would love to talk with you, pray with you. We have oil if you are struggling physically, emotionally. You want someone to pray with you and anoint you with oil. We, as I always say, we do see healing, but we don't see it in every case. That's God who heals. We just obey. Membership class is Wednesday, I urge you. If some of you have just been sitting on a fence a long time, not making much progress, I urge you, there's a first step. Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, upstairs will be membership class. Take a step. Say, I can be counted on to be part of this fellowship. Father, we do thank you that you died for criminals. And I know I'm one. Amen. Thank you for
0: coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our websites or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.